Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for uh, this opportunity to come together, and Lord, I thank you for the presentation coming up on screen, and Lord, for the, the technical uh, issues that are involved in a presentation like this, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that your will would be done, that you would speak through me to um, just share about women and missions, the complexities and the trials that are there, Lord. You know, Lord, um, that are um, all those issues, Lord. And I just pray that that would be communicated, that uh, what you have to share, Lord, would be communicated through me um, and that uh, people would hear um, what you have to say. So, um, Lord, be with us now in this place. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, just to give a little bit of background on myself, um, I am actually a pharmacist, and um, I teach at a school in Rochester, New York, uh, St. John Fisher College. Um, I've been involved in short-term medical missions for... um, about 10 years now. I can't believe that. Um, you know, I just went to my 20th high school reunion. Sometimes you say these numbers and you're like, 10 years, 20 years? It's like um, I'm starting to realize the, num- the years go by very quickly once you get above 20 or something like that. So, um, uh, but, uh, so about 10 years ago, I started off on my first short-term trip to Nepal with a, my church and just was very life-changing for me. I went on to do uh, several short-term trips after that, spent some time um, in India, about four months stint um, for a period uh, serving in a mission hospital um, and just really life-transforming, just wanted to give my life over to missions after that. Um, the Lord really brought me home and just saw how you can get involved in missions uh, still from home um, and And uh, so I have done a lot of um, uh, various aspects about sharing and being an advocate for missions and about an advocate for different areas of the world. I have a great heart for India and Nepal. I've spent most of my time there, although have done trips all over. Um, I now take missions back into the academic setting, and um, I teach in the pharmacy school so that I can share missions with my students. Um, And so I have a missions elective course in the pharmacy school that I teach. Uh, We also take students on trips over the summer, and we do an academic rotation in the final year for students that are interested in that. Um, And great opportunity to show um, practical ways how to use their pharmacy skills and other medical skills Uh, out in the field in the world of missions. Um, I got interested particularly in women um, about five years ago. Um, I got involved in a missions group in the area where I was living, um, and uh, there was a uh, women's-focused mission group there. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, Women's missions, you know, sure, I've been doing medical missions for a while. What's, you know, what's the difference? It's women. Okay, sure. But as I started to learn and to talk with this group, I really found out that uh, there are really some specific needs for women um, on the mission field. Um, When we're going to reach women, um, if we do not concentrate on um, uh, some targeted ministries and focuses towards women, uh, women may not be reached um, in a lot of these settings. Uh, Men may be reached and men may be out in these settings, but women are often at home, they're with the children, um, they're in the village. Uh, we may not even see them um, on a lot of uh, trips and focus and uh, ministries unless we have a specific target for that. So um, I got more and more interested in this area, did a little bit more research, and um, was involved in a mission group for a while with that. So I hope, um, again, not enormous amount of experience in this, but um, my heart definitely is there for women, and I hope to be able to share that uh, some of that with you today. So that's all my introduction, um, just a little about myself. Um, I'll tell you a little bit some statistics which you may or may know, may or may not realize or know about women in the world. But women make up 49% of the world, 35% of its paid labor. They're ahead of 33% of its households. Um, they make up 95% of the nurses worldwide, yet perform 62% of its work. 
um, but only receive 10% of the world's income, um, own 1% of its property, they make up 70% of the poor, 66% of the illiterate, 80% of the refugees, and 76% of the sick. And so I think when we look at some of those statistics, um, some of those may not be shocking, some of them may be. Um, and many more to go with that, too. It just, it's hard to pick and choose which ones to share in a setting like this. But, um, you know, when we look at numbers like 80% of the refugees are women and 76% of the sick are women, 66% of the illiterate, um, we have more issues with women than, uh, that are very specific for women um, than uh, just looking at people as a whole. Women really do have a lot of um, more specific concerns and issues. Let's talk about just a few of the hardships for women. This list could go long on and on. Approximately 800,000 baby girls were abandoned or killed in a single region of China in one year. In India, 6,200 dowry deaths were reported in, in 1994. An average of 17 married women uh, were killed daily for failure to make dowry payments to a husband's family. And I tried to look up some numbers to try to get something newer than 1994. Couldn't find anything, although there may be some out there. And a lot of these are just not reported. This is what is reported. So you can imagine these, all these numbers. Um, each year, 2 million women and children worldwide have sex with strangers only because someone kidnaps them and threatens to kill them. Trafficking, we know huge problems with that. I think there's some talks and uh, many experts on that in this, uh, in this session or in this uh, meeting um, as well, but huge problems. Um, it's estimated that one-fourth of women worldwide are physically battered, one-fourth. So it may be, you know, we say that, oh, that's sometimes look at the four people sitting around you, but it's probably not in, in America because we live in, uh, um, in a lot of our settings in a very comfortable setting, but worldwide, um, one-fourth of the women. So... Um, some, some serious numbers there, and we could go on and on about uh, some of the hardships that are particular for women. Uh, baby girls, this is a big issue in China and India and a lot of these areas where men are, are valued much greater. Um, the dowry situation in India uh, and in um, Bangladesh and some of these other areas. Um, trafficking, um, these are specific issues that are only uh, there for women. Bob Schindler, who's the founder of uh, Missions One, had given this quote. Um, in the political, in the social, political, and religious arenas, women commonly treated, women are commonly treated as second-class citizens. Women's voices are often silenced under a smothering veil of prejudice. They are often beaten, raped, verbally abused, and denied basic rights solely because of their gender. We must wait no longer. Women worldwide must be given the voice of dignity they deserve. And uh, this is uh, spoken from a uh, founder of Mission One. They um, have uh, started a number of years ago a, uh, a group called um, One Woman, which is part of Missions One and focused specifically on women. Um, and uh, that's because the founder has a vision for that, an understanding that women have specific needs, have specific concerns, and so therefore focusing some of their ministry, particularly on women. One of the things as we talk about women um, is to look at how God esteemed women. 
and uh, so many examples of this in the Bible. And um, so interesting when we look at it in the context of the culture, because a lot of the times um, uh, in uh, Jewish culture, as we look at the life of Jesus, um, it wasn't appropriate maybe to be um, in the in the presence of women or talking to women, um, or uh, maybe to mention a woman woman in a genealogy, as we're going to mention here uh, a little bit later. But just a few examples, and you could probably list many, many more. But uh, in Ephesians 6:25, um, uh, calls uh, God calls men to care for the wives like Christ loved the church. What a wonderful uh, example and analogy for that. Um, Jesus calls the women healed of the issue of blood daughter. What an endearing term. Um, here, the woman um, with the issue of blood was bleeding. She was considered unclean. People would, uh, wouldn't want to be near her or she was um, put off to the side. And yet he um, called her daughter. So endearing. Um, we know Proverbs 31. If you know your Bible and women's um, uh, ministry, then you know Proverbs 31. Um, a wife of noble character, she is worth far more than rubies. Wonderful. And so uh, Proverbs 31, wonderful, wonderful chapter um, focusing on women. Um, God chose women to be the mother of all living things. If we think about uh, um, creation and what a gifting that is, um, to be the mother of all living things as Eve was. Um, wonderful. So just a few examples. Um, the genealogy of Jesus. I am just in awe of this. I did a study on this a number of years ago, and if any of you um, are readers of um, Francine Rivers, she has done a wonderful um, uh, kind of, uh, I guess, historical fiction, I guess is what it would be described. But she went through the five women that are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, and she wrote a book about each one and kind of painted a story around each of their lives. And I, I think did a very well job, wonderful job, in my opinion. But um, just to briefly mention, if you're familiar with these five women, great, I'll just briefly touch on them. If you are not, I encourage you to do a study on these five women. First of all, think about any genealogy that you can think of in the Bible. Usually we skip over those, right? We come to that chapter and it's like so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and two chapters later they're still going on. So, But if, we, uh, if you take a look at those, if you think about them, um, most of them, all of them really, are, they just mention the men the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. It's all the men. Why? Because the women weren't as, you know, we talk about the man's family. The women weren't as, um, really, we weren't concerned about the woman's family. The woman was brought into the man's family and joined the man's genealogy. And so, and that's often actually the way it is in many cultures and in some ways in America as well. So we take our husband's name a lot of times and our father's name and go on from there. But if you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, as listed in Matthew 1, there's actually five women mentioned. And that alone is a striking thing in itself. Why would five women be mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, of all things? Yet they are. And so you have to question, like, wow, who are these five women? They must be really special if uh, you know, they're going to be documented here in a genealogy of not just someone, but of Jesus Christ. And so taking a look at these five, um, the first one is Tamar. And Tamar is probably the least familiar with of all of these. The others are, are somewhat familiar. But Tamar, a very unusual story of uh, how she um, really um, was supposed to, her husband died. She was given her, uh, her uh, husband's brother as her next um, 
uh, husband in order to have children with them, uh, and then he died, um, and uh, all kinds of things uh, went on. And then uh, Judah, who was her father-in-law, finally said, I'm not going to give you any more of my sons. Every time I give you a son, uh, the son is, is, um, is dying, and you know, I'm not going to give you any more of my sons. Go back home to your mother's house and uh, you know, go and live with her. And so uh, in the Jewish custom at that time, that was not right. He should have actually given him the, to the next sundown, which was a, a little bit younger. But um, anyway, story goes on. She um, ends up prostituting herself to her father-in-law um, and ends up becoming pregnant by her father-in-law and thus has a, a child of, out of that. And that becomes the genealogy of Jesus Christ, if you can imagine this. So you're thinking, oh my goodness, why on earth? You know, was she justified in doing that? You know, pro- probably, I'm not going to judge too much on that. There was a very complicated story that's uh, pretty complex. But, um, you know, here she is. Here she shows up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. An unlikely um, person to show up, but one that's, that's, that's notable. Let's go through the others and see and look at the others. Rahab. What was Rahab? A prostitute. Okay, so we've got an interesting group. Okay, so the second one is Rahab. Here she is a prostitute, okay, who ended up uh, uh, keeping the um, spies to come into Jericho and kept them in their, uh, her home and then uh, eventually was able to, um, to get out before the walls came down and she uh, came to uh, follow God after this. But another unlikely character, but another one that was faithful to God even through these situations. Okay, Ruth. Ruth, a Moabitess, okay, one who worshipped idols, um, but yet her loyalty um, as she came back with Naomi and came back into the land, she uh, committed her life to God and said to Naomi, your God will be my God. Her faithfulness is um, uh, well-known and uh, just to be um, uh, commended um, and, again, yeah, listed in the genealogy. Going down our list, Bathsheba is next. Okay, so Bathsheba um, fell into sexual sin with David, um, had a child as a result, um, was she a, a victim in this or was she involved? Again, lots of controversy. I won't touch that one either. I'll let you guys study that in, on yourselves. But again, why are we listing all these interesting characters in here? Um, and then Mary. Although Mary, you know, Mary, we can pretty much say she really, you know, hadn't done anything wrong. Here we have a woman um, out of wedlock having a child. Again, by the world's view, um, probably not the most uh, likely candidate, again, to be um, in this whole situation of, of this, of the ones that you would think um, would be put into the genealogy. So just giving you that kind of brief overview, I'll let you guys go into a little more study on each one of them. But the point is, these women are not women that we would kind of think, oh, this is the ideal woman. This is the Proverbs 31 woman that uh, we want to be. Or this isn't the ideal woman. This is, these are women that had real trials, had real difficulties, went through some real situations. Yet God used them in amazing ways. Uh, in amazing ways that he was, they were all in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. What an honor. And yet they were faithful in each one of their situations, unique in their ways. Um, were not perfect. Um, but uh, were faithful to the Lord uh, in each one of them and to the point that God used them so mightily um, and then made reference to them um, even in this genealogy. So, you know, think about God writing the Bible. Didn't need to, to mention, you know, or have Matthew mention uh, uh, any of these women, but he did. But he did. And those are an example for us to look at, to study from, to learn from, and to say, wow, you know what, if God can use all these women, maybe he can use me as well.
Let's talk a little bit about um, some different women that have been involved in some uh, missions over the past few years and um, over a number of years, actually. But um, as we look about, talk about uh, women in missions, let's focus a little bit more on that um, and look at what has been done. And some of you are involved in uh, all types of projects. I know sitting in a, in a room this size, um, some of you may be involved in every one of these areas we're going to uh, address. And I think that is um, exactly the point we want to make. Women are involved in missions everywhere, um, and that is a wonderful thing. And in a lot of these cases, um, women are leading. Um, they're on the forefront in a lot of these areas. Um, a lot of these groups uh, being started by women, um, a lot of pioneer work and um, exploratory work actually has been done by women, as, as some well noted, um, and uh, amazing things. So let's just go through some things. Um, I've get, taken some of this from um, uh, some of Ruth, Ruth Tucker's books. If you're familiar with her, she's done uh, Guardians of the, the Great Commission and a few other books. She's a historian. She's done a lot of work on uh, women in history as well. Um, this, uh, so some of the things, um, work, work behind the scenes. And I have really found an appreciation for this over the, the, the years when I would have loved to be out on the mission field, but yet the Lord had clearly had me at home. Um, I have found that the Lord can use you mightily in the mission world right from home. And that may be, you know, ministering around the corner or across the street, but it could also be supporting foreign missions, um, uh, maybe through organized something, um, getting fundraising, maybe some support, letter writing, who knows what it is. There are so many things um, to be done. Um, some of that work, um, some of the early work uh, was uh, missionary prayer groups. I mean, how important is prayer when we talk about missions? And, uh, you know, women really... Um, Wonderful prayer warriors, uh, and some of these groups uh, historically have been um, have been all women. Have been these missionary prayer groups formed um, while the men were out uh, in the field. Um, the Boston Female Society for uh, Missionary Purposes was founded in around 1800 by Mary Webb. Uh, she was a um, uh, uh, as a reading her some biography on her. She was actually in a wheelchair. She was handicapped uh, and uh, was, had excellent, tremendous organizational skills and put together this group um, and well noted for this uh, very successful group of uh, um, prayer support and encouragement for this group um, and uh, particularly all women. Other places women are involved in all kinds of high-level leadership now. We see women involved in founding of different missionary organizations, missionary societies, um, no longer just behind the scenes, um, now out in the forefront uh, leading things um, and uh, starting up groups, um, leading mission trips um, everywhere. Um, urban missions, uh, poor areas, slum ministry, ministries from home, there are a tremendous amount of opportunities to do this. Um, I know uh, I have many students in, in uh, programs in the schools I have been at, and many are interested in missions but not able to travel overseas, or maybe they're nervous to, or maybe can't afford it, or whatever their situation is. But uh, I will direct them sometimes to some inner city projects in the slum ministry or something, or uh, a ministry in our inner city that's right, you know, not too far down the road and can be a, a great ministry project. Um, there's women in there that need to be reached um, just as there are around the world. Um, exploration and pioneer work. Um, uh, Mary Slesher is a woman that is uh, well noted for her experiences 
Uh, in this, she was a Scottish missionary to Nigeria, known for promoting women's rights against the killing of twins um, during this time period. So well noted, um, uh, an explorer. Um, and again, as I mentioned, the, uh, a, a lot of the early exploration work and um, kind of difficult situations of going into places that they don't know, a lot of that is, contribu- is attributed to women, actually women being on the forefront in those places. So uh, pretty interesting as you uh, read about that. You normally think, oh, the women probably stayed home and prayed and the men are out there. It's actually not the case. The women are out on those forefronts a lot of the times. Um, Church planting and preaching. I think this is another one we think probably the men are here. Preaching, this is the pastors. Most of them are men. Um, You know, uh, the women are probably, again, taking care of the children or doing something. No, there are lots of women out there now doing church planting and preaching. Um, A lot of the different groups, I know um, uh, Gospel for Asia and Missions One and some of these uh, national missionary groups have what they call Bible women. So they don't call them pastors necessarily, or, um, but they'll call them Bible women. They're trained uh, at their, maybe a, a Bible school or something there, and then they go out into ministry and they help to form um, uh, small groups in their village or in their, their setting that they're working in. Um, and uh, a lot of movement in this, in this area. Um, I know a number of years ago I was in a project in... Um, in South India, and there was some Bible women had come together. And I remember hearing the story of this woman who had served with her husband in a village uh, for um, not a long time. She was young when I met her, probably 30, and, um, you know, maybe five years or so. And they had built a church. They had had some opposition. They had had some difficulty. But um, her husband had uh, passed away. And so uh, they were only there, you know, they uh, were only there five years or so, five years, um, but their their work was, was flourishing and growing. Her husband passed away, and she said, I'm going to stay here and continue this ministry. So here she was, maybe you know, 28, 30 years old, very young, and still uh, continuing this church and um, continuing the work that her husband had done. So um, clearly a Bible woman, and the most qualified and capable person to do that in that setting, um, having done that with her husband for a number of years. Many stories like that of women uh, doing some, some great work in those ways. Uh, mobilizing, organizing and training from the home front. I would probably put myself in this category now, being um, uh, teaching and getting uh, students involved in missions and trying to educate them about missions and opportunities that are there. Um, Lots we can do here. Um, We just talked in a meeting earlier about trying to connect students and different mission trips, and there is such a need for this. Um, You know, we come to a conference like this, and I'll meet students, and I love to meet students and get them connected. But this, um, you know, a lot of them will email me later and say, I want to do a mission trip. I'm not sure where to go, what to do. And so, you know, there's a lot of this networking and mobilizing and things that goes on to try to get everybody, you know, to, to plug into something. This is a full-time job. I mean, this, it's a wonderful thing, but it's a full-time job. And so we're talking today about, you know, three or four people involved in this. How can we, you know, make sure everybody's needs are met? We all want to do it. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's a wonderful thing. Um, and we all think about our own experiences, and many of you have been out on trips already. If you're at a conference like this, um, think about how you got to your first mission trip or how you got into, you know, a, a trip, um, you know, maybe several trips. Um, I remember one of my biggest um, experiences was in um, India, this four months I'd spent in India. And that came from one contact, one guy from the Christian Pharmacist Fellowship who, who emailed me or wrote me a letter, actually, I think it was before major emails, but wrote me a letter and, uh, and said, you know, hey, Christine, there's this opportunity in India. I know you had an interest in India. I don't know if you could go, but here's this thing. And 
it worked out and i went. it was life changing for me and i thought, oh my goodness, what if he never, what if he never wrote me that note? what if he never did that? he was a mobilizer, you know, it's, it's a man, but it's okay, men, are, it's okay, too, but women can do these things too, so it's, it's all right. Um, women's work for women, so lots of things to be done, again, specific things that are uh, focused towards women, we'll talk about a few from the medical standpoint as well, but um, women working on specific projects for women, which could be a long list of things. Orphanages and children's work. Um, this, there's no doubt this has often been attributed to women, and that we often think of a more traditional um, setting for uh, women in missions. This is some of the big ones. So some of the examples I think of are Amy Carmichael and uh, Mother Teresa, caring for the poor, caring for um, the uh, uh, young uh, girls in a lot of these cases. Uh, if you're familiar with Amy Carmichael's story, she was in uh, uh, South India, Sorry, I have so many examples from India. You can tell my, my heart is for India. But um, I just think there's great examples there. Uh, she, was, uh, she ran an orphanage there for a number of years, and actually uh, the area is still in existence now, um, for girls that were given over as um, temple prostitutes in, um, uh, to be uh, in the, the Hindu um, temples there. So she would rescue them out of those situations and be able to um, bring them into her orphanage. So... Um, wonderful, wonderful ministry. She has a great biography, uh, A Chance to Die. So if anyone wants to read a great biography. Um, other types of educational ministries. I think this is another one we often think a lot of women involved with, and they're very much so the case. Schools, um, health clinics as well, but um, I think of schools, we often think of uh, women going and, and serving in these roles. What an opportunity to help the children and to get involved in their lives in very real ways. And uh, whether that be at a small level with children or at a young level, young age, or uh, an older age, you know, serving in them uh, now in um, teaching college, you know, I'm, I'm involved in these, these realms uh, even here. Let's talk about some examples from health and humanitarian aid. Um, Clara Swain, she is um, uh, one of the first uh, female medical missionaries. And I teach this class I, I mentioned at, in my school on the uh, in, uh, introduction to medical missions. And so we go through all these examples of some of the great missionaries. And then, you know, the first documented, and there may have been others, but she's the well-known one at least of the first female um, American physician to uh, travel overseas, a medical missionary. Um, and she went out in 1870. So you can imagine, in 1870, going to India from the U.S., she got on a boat, okay, and that was probably it. Said goodbye to her family, and she was probably there for uh, the rest of, of her life. So um, big commitment. Um, she eventually became the uh, one of the palace uh, doctors for uh, one of the Raja of Raj. Putana, Raj Putana. So it should be uh, what an opportunity to be able to come in and to uh, work even now within um, uh, the, the palace. Uh, what, a, what a circle of influence she now has an opportunity to be involved in. Um, Ida Scudder. Ida Scudder, uh, again, a wonderful story of a woman who um, uh, grew up as a missionary child um, uh, and uh, grew up on the mission field, a long legacy of medical missionaries in her family. Um, her grandfather and her grandfather um, were in uh, Sri Lanka and India um, serving in these areas, and she grew up there and went back to the U.S. She said, I want nothing to do with medical missions, um, but she was visiting her father the one time in India there for a short period of time and realized the great need for women, for medical needs for women, and uh, that she has the famous story of the three knocks 
um, and she was sleeping one night, and someone came to the door um, and knocked on the door, and it was a, um, a high-caste uh, Hindu man that said, oh, my, my wife is having difficulty in childbirth. I need a doctor. I need a doctor. And her, her, her father said, oh, I'll come. I'll come and help. And he said, no, no, no. It has to be a woman. It has to be a woman. No man can see my wife. I have to have a woman doctor. And we said, I'm sorry, there's no woman doctor here. And so he went away. Later in the night, a Muslim man came to the door. Same night, three knocks. Knocks on the door. Hurry, hurry, someone come. My wife is in labor. She's having difficulty. Same scenario. I can come. No, I need a female doctor. Okay, so third one, another uh, different caste in, the, uh, in Hindu, I believe. Um, same thing. No, uh, no one can come unless it's a woman doctor. Three separate situations, one night. Um, the famous uh, three knocks, as she explains it. And Ida, who's sitting there saying, I'm definitely not going to be a medical missionary, that night went back and cried and thought, Lord, there's a need here for uh, medical missions for women in this place. Um, so in the morning she woke up and she heard the tom-tom drum, as she explains it, and she knew that that was the, the death drum, that someone had died in the village. And so she called for her worker and called to her dad and said, you know, what happened, what happened? Sent the worker out and came back and said, those three women in the night had all died and all have lost their babies um, because there was no one to care for them. And so that day she decided and shared with her dad she would go back to the U.S. and go back to, to medical school and she would come back to India and care specifically for the women. And that's exactly what she did. And so she came back actually at, um, I want to say this is either late 1800s or early 1900s, so in this time frame. But um, she had gone back, not only just gone to medical school, but had shared her story and her experiences. And she came back to India as, you know, probably in her 20s, maybe late 20s, with a $10,000 check as a start for a hospital specifically focused for women. And that eventually became the Valor Christian Medical College in South India, or the, um, uh, Christian Medical College, CMC in Valor. Um, I think it's, it's now um, enormous hospital, um, still there and doing well, um, very well. I think a thousand bed hospital or something now. It's now for men and women, but started under her call, her vision, and uh, specifically focused towards women as it has, has started. So I know they have a medical school now that's there and one of them the most prestigious medical school, I think in the top five or ten in India. So all from a woman uh, starting off this ministry. So wonderful story. And um, I list Martha Myers there. I had done this presentation some time ago and um, a, a similar presentation to this. And um, Martha Myers, you guys may be familiar with, she was a hospital administrator in um, the Jibla Hospital in um, Yemen. And uh, this was, I think, in 2002, 2003, and there was uh, uh, someone that came in and, um, and uh, was upset and, and uh, took a gun and shot uh, several people in the hospital. And so she, she was killed that day after committing her, her life, spending a number of years there uh, in uh, tremendous work. And she was just about to retire, I believe, so just a few months down the line. So, um, but uh, tremendous work done in that hospital and her work um, that was, was done there. So I just make mention of her as well. Um, okay. um, we also mentioned Bible translation and linguistics. This is an area of Wycliffe translators, all kinds of people working in these areas, and women uh, certainly involved um, in all of these as well. So no shortage. I think any place men are involved, women are involved these days. 
this is a big one as we talk about some of the practical needs and really for healthcare practitioners. As I mentioned about Ida Scudder, there is a great need um, for a very specific women's ministry um, for medical care for women, especially in the Muslim countries and some of these uh, Hindu areas where we mentioned uh, folk religions, all types of areas there uh, where there are some specific things. There may be some great restrictions for the men. Um, if the men are there um, uh, and uh, the nationals do not let the uh, male physicians to see the women, who is going to treat the women if there aren't women there to treat them? So this is a real problem, a, a real concern, um, and uh, is really um, a great, great need. Um, nursing, midwifery, um, OB-GYN, uh, you know, even maternal child health, anyone can teach that if you get some, some training on that. There are some great, great needs, um, and uh, this is, men cannot do this um, in a lot of these settings. This has to be done by women. So all of us here, we have, we have some responsibility to that. Um, some of the areas that um, I have really started to focus on in the last few years and really um, started to shift a bit of my ministry and focus is really in the more of the um, areas of health teaching and health education. And I mentioned that my background is pharmacy, um, but you know, after a couple trips of giving out uh, Tylenol and some ibuprofen and uh, some parasite meds, you start to realize... These people, they're going to have all these problems two weeks from now after I'm gone. And what kind of impact is this really making? And there are some great things we can do with medicine. I'm not minimizing that. But personally, as a pharmacist, I was very challenged with that. And so I started to think about this parasite medication that I'm giving out all the time. How about we try to do some programs to try to get some people, to get the people to get some lifestyle changes so they understand why they're getting sick, and then they don't have to use the parasite medication that we're handing them. And so I really started to focus some more um, on these areas. And this is, there is such a great opportunity for this. And very important that you know your audience and you know where you're going to and the education level and the knowledge base of the people that you're going to be teaching when you do a health education program. But, um, you know, some basic things on health and hygiene can really be um, just amazing for uh, disease prevention. So just washing your hands, using soap, getting the animals out of the house, you know, all kinds of things. Um, you know, making sure there's a proper latrine, enormous. Um, and uh, we may think we take them for granted, but uh, in some of these areas, these can be very, very important. And, um, you know, I was talking about this recently with um, some others and, you know, we all said recently, we're all learning how to wash our hands again with this H1N1, right? And there's antimicrobial gel everywhere, you know, learning how to sneeze all over again, you know, sneeze into your arm and the whole thing. These are the kinds of things uh, in uh, some of the developing nations. Wonderful programs you can do with children and, uh, and, and adults in um, some of these settings. Maternal child health. Um, I've done a couple of trips with a good friend who is a uh, nurse practitioner and midwife. And uh, so she has a great heart for this. And so we've worked together on a couple of projects that have really been wonderful in maternal child health. Great needs. You get to connect with the women. You know, a small group. You get to be with uh, all women sitting there talking about their concerns. Um, uh, the work we had done was in Nepal. And actually, it's what a couple of those pictures are from. And we were amazed at how many women in the room um, had several children yet really did not understand how they got pregnant. They didn't understand their cycle. They didn't know anything about family planning. Um, you know, these are, these are big things and um, important, yet they didn't have anybody to talk to them about, you know, talked about these issues with. So uh, we pre presented and created a safe setting to really address some of these topics. That is not going to happen with men, okay? That's only going to happen with women talking to women.
Um, there's also some things you can do when um, going into schools, um, working with some of the teachers, maybe to teach them about some basic things, or working with the, the uh, children in the schools uh, can be some, some great aspects there. When we talk about women and the needs for women and just the opportunities for women, we can't overlook things like empathy. <laughs> and uh, uh, there is a great, um, you know, I have to say, there's only a few men in the room, so I don't throw too many things. Women are more empathetic, I think. We're more compassionate. I don't know. So no, I'm just, just uh, you know, uh, just kidding in that respect. But uh, there's a great level of um, uh, compassion um, that uh, we can give and provide um, a nurturing um, and that um, you know, is very valuable on the mission field. Um, understanding and listening. There's been some statistics and some things out there um, about people going to female physicians because they uh, listen more. Um, it's perceived at least that way. Um, there may be some truths to that. So, uh, you know, these, these things all are um, uh, just go right out to the mission field as well. Um, being available. Women may or may not be more available, I'm not sure. Um, and a willingness. These are important aspects. Um, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any, in any trouble with the comfort he, we ourselves have received from God. Wonderful verse as we uh, care for women with uh, tremendous needs, tremendous hardships that they're going through. Um, we can really... Um, empathize with them and uh, sympathize in some of those settings. Women empowerment. Uh, this is a wonderful area to be involved with. I haven't done a lot in here, but the little bits I've done is so exciting. Um, it is, uh, I would love to be more involved with it. Um, but this idea of um, instilling value or um, educating some of the women. If you have been out to the villages where people are very um, uh, illiterate or not very well educated, and yet you teach them something, and then they suddenly, you can see their faces light up of, wow, now I understand this. And they didn't think they were capable of knowing about this or understanding that because they're illiterate. And they've always just assumed that someone else would, would teach, would know, and they would tell them or something. Um, but this can be an amazing thing to give value or worth to a woman. Um, you know, if we think about um, uh, the fact that uh, we are all, uh, all women are the daughters of God. If you think about it like that, what a, what a wonderful picture that is. Um, in uh, empowering women, there's some great development projects that um, are going on out there, giving women uh, small uh, business loans to maybe start a small business in a community. Um, we did a project a number of years ago where we were out in a village um, where there was a um, uh, this group had helped the women come together in several, it was one village, I think it was one village, the women in one village came together, and they all put in a very small amount, you know, uh, you know the equivalent of maybe 50 cents each. Um, but they all put it together, and then I think this group had matched their, um, their contributions, a kind of a matching loan program, and they started a soap-making business. And, and think, oh, it's such a small thing. But a uh, soap-making business that they then took this soap and then sold it to the other people in the village. And this actually was an income-generating thing for them. This was all six or eight women in the village that had done this, all illiterate, all not capable of really, you know, any business skills at all. And now here they were running a business, amazed that they 
could do something like this. So we went out and they showed us. You know, I remember this. They were making the soap. They showed us how to make the soap and everything. They wanted to demonstrate it to us to, uh, to show it. What a wonderful thing. But you could just see the empowerment that they had or the value uh, of now, wow, even I have my own business. I can bring in some income now that I've uh, been able to kind of mobilize with these other women and had a little bit of help getting things started and getting our soap-making business going. Um, education and training, um, teaching them to share their knowledge. Uh, and this, this goes really nicely uh, with some health education programs. Um, uh, this, uh, I, I remember a, another uh, situation where this wasn't a group I was involved with at all, but we just happened to be visiting. It was actually in um, uh, the Duncan Hospital in North India, so if anyone is familiar with that. And uh, they have a program that goes out into the village, and they were teaching people about uh, HIV prevention. And... Um, uh, you think, oh, well, is that really in the village? And I, even I w had been there and I thought, in the village, is this really a problem? But it, it is because there is a big um, uh, trade area there. Um, um, the truck drivers come through. It's a border crossing into Nepal. And so there's a lot of prostitution and drugs and all kinds of things, even out in this very rural area where they really don't even have electricity or anything else. But still, HIV has managed to get there without any problems. And so here you have these, uh, again, illiterate women um, there. And they had taken these women, and they had worked with them for, I think, about two years at this point. We were just literally there one afternoon. And uh, these women were doing skits on uh, HIV and explaining, and you know, here we don't know the language, so that wasn't really helping us too much, but they were demonstrating these skits. Again, village women, illiterate, you, they, a couple years before they probably didn't even know what HIV was. Now they were going around and going around to the other villages and putting on this skit around in all of the villages showing, teaching people about HIV prevention. Powerful. Powerful. I'm going to go in and tell them about HIV prevention. They're going to look at me like, you don't know anything about our culture. But these village women that are illiterate are like them, now going around and sharing that. Powerful. These women feel empowered. They're communicating ten times better than I'm going to be. Um, and uh, the word is being, being uh, spread. So tremendous. Uh, reaching the women of the world. Um, there's really, as we look at um, some of this, really only women can reach women effectively. And uh, uh, there's many women have been reached by other men and all of that is there. But uh, to really touch on some of these issues that we've addressed or talked about, um, some of these are so specific to women. And uh, just sitting down with another woman um, and being able to talk with them, even if you need to use a translator, um, you can still communicate. And to be able to touch into their lives and to uh, realize that we're really all human. All women really have the same basic needs when it comes down to it. And yes, our, our cultures may be the different and our language may be different, but still those same things about family, about your husband, about um, your personal uh, needs, about caring for each other, about love, about Jesus Christ, they're all, they're all there uh, no matter what culture you go in. So uh, those connections can be made. It's important um, to realize, of course, that we can't reach everyone. The need is enormous, but that idea of that one woman at a time. If you can go and you can reach one woman, two women, make an impact in their lives, we don't know. They may be the next Ida Scudder. Who knows? Um, uh, this, um, I've used some of this in my title of this idea of women being the largest unreached people group in the world. And uh, there's, there's a lot of... Um, of 
of uh, rationale to that. And if you've done some study on unreached people groups, um, you know that this is an idea of people that have a, a unique culture and maybe a language, maybe a region, but um, uh, have a specific uh, set of beliefs and ideals that make them a distinct people group. And so women could be classified as that, as one. Um, and in order to reach these people groups, there needs to be some targeted, focused ministry towards those groups. And so, again, uh, women could fall into and could say that it is an unreached people group, really, if you look at it from a, a, a world perspective. Women become Christians because another woman has met them at their point of need. And uh, it's many, many examples of that. Um, and you guys may have some of those in your own lives and how people have touched your life. Often when there's a need, when there's difficulty, and a lot of these trips or a lot of projects that you're involved with, you meet a lot of women in a lot of difficulty. And so uh, tremendous opportunities to, to touch their lives at those points. There's a variety of different groups out there. I just have one or two couple mentioned here. I mentioned uh, One Woman, which is a ministry of Mission One. Um, and uh, there's another group that um, uh, I had been a part of a number of years ago. With, um, Partners International has a focus on women uh, particularly as well. Um, Project Hannah, uh, this is a ministry of Transworld Radio that had a radio program just specifically focused for women. So it would be addressed, just short clip it, I think 10 minutes or something, um, would talk specifically to women, and this would be broadcast all over the world, um, you know, really focusing on that uh, specifically. Um, world Vision has um, some specific programming in uh, women's ministry as well, and some women's focused projects. Uh, we mentioned the Bible Women, Gospel for Asia, and uh, uh, Mission One, other groups that uh, look at the native missionaries um, uh, have some particular focus on women. So wonderful projects. There may be many others, and others, please share them as we come to the end. Other people can share. Um, just a few other things as we finish up. I'd just like to make a, a, a couple points on... Um, uh, of, of where we are as women. And I, in a room like this, I imagine people are in all different places. And um, I have to share that I, I did this talk, this sim very similar to talk, um, a number of years ago at this meeting. And so when I was preparing for this meeting this year, I thought, oh, you know, what should I talk about? And I thought, oh, what, you know, what about women and missions? I just so love that. And you know, it was a couple years ago I did that talk at the meeting. And so I went and looked it up, and I think it was 2002 or 2003. I couldn't believe it had been so long. Um, but um, I have to say, at that time, I was single. And I was in my early 30s and had no prospects of being married at the time. I hadn't dated in several years. I was very involved in missions and, you know, college professor and whatever. Men pretty much were scared off by me. Let's just put it that way. So they would see me and, like, run the other way. Plus, I was just busy and traveling and doing whatever. And pretty content, you know, you know, pretty content, I don't know. I was definitely single, wanted to be married, but just kind of accepted the fact that, you know what, I'm probably going to be single. And, but, you know, one of the things I, I acknowledged and I realized at that point was, you know what, I have such an opportunity to serve the Lord and to be involved in missions because I am single. I could go on several trips a year. I mean, my job allowed me that, too, because I was teaching and I had some flexibility. But uh, I was in, deeply involved in a lot of the missions projects because I had the time. I was available. I didn't have a, a, a husband and three children at home that I had to take care of. I was, I was able to be used tremendously for God um, during that time. 
Fast forward now, uh, you know, here we are six, seven years. I've now been married for three years. <laughs> I mentioned that I have a, a, a great heart for India. Um, my husband is Indian, and uh, we actually met um, in Florida, so he's, you know, we didn't meet in India or anything like that. He was an international student, came to the U.S. as an international student, and then stayed. Uh, he's very Americanized, actually, now. He's been here for about 15 years. But um, what a wonderful blend. I had this great heart for India. I served in India, done many mission trips there. The Lord preparing me for years, really, um, developing this love in this culture of, of India. I always would joke that I'm half Indian, right? That would always be my joke. And then I would go and then to meet my, my husband, who is Indian. Um, and just a wonderful fulfillment of the Lord preparing me for so many years, my love for missions, my love for India, and then, you know, here I am married. So um, my husband's not medical, and he hadn't done really, he had done one mission trip, I think, before we got married. So but he has a great heart for the underserved. And we've been out on a couple trips now together, um, and uh, we're really finding a really kind of neat ministry together. We've been to India doing mission project, and we're going back in January doing another medical mission project in India. So it's exciting. So I just say that to say no matter where you are, whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you've been, you know, widowed, whatever your situation is, you know, God knows that, and he's using that situation, whatever it is. So I share my story. I hope that's an encouragement to you because, you know, whether you have, uh, you're married and your, your primary responsibility is to honor your family and your husband right now, and you can only do a little bit for the missions effort, that's fine. Your ministry is there to your family. It's very important. If you're single, hey, use that opportunity. You're available. You have more time. You know, maximize that. Don't go in the back room and say, oh, I wish I was married. I, I can't go to the mission field till I get married. You know, don't, don't, be, don't be thinking that. Go now. You, you have a lot of opportunity, and the Lord has a perfect timing for everything to be able to meet your husband at the right time um, when it's the right situation. So he's got all that worked out for you. Um, I guess I would just kind of close with these couple of comments. Um, allow God to use you um, wherever you are. Be, be um, available. Um, have a willing spirit, a willing heart. Um, pursue the opportunities God puts in your life. Um, you know, don't say, oh, I can't do that or I can't do this. Well, think about it. You know, pray about it. Give us some thought. Talk to some people. Um, don't be limited by the world standards of what they kind of think, oh, a woman should be doing this. Or think about this Mary Slesher and these other women that went out, uh, this early exploratory work. You know, they probably, a hundred people told them, you should stay home and wait for your husband or, you know, or, you know, go home and take care of the kids. And, you know, this work would have never been completed. Great, great accomplishments from these women. So, um, so follow the Lord's leading. So wonderful things. I have some references here um, for everyone as well. I know they're a little bit small. I actually did make some handouts today, but again, I had no idea how many people would be here. I made 50 handouts. There's definitely more than 50 people here. So I will sit them up in the front um, if anyone wants to take one, but um, I'll sit some business cards too if anybody would like a copy of this. I can always email it to them. So I, we only have a few minutes left because, of course, I talked more than I planned, like, norm, like most college professors, right? They go over their time. Um, but I would love to open to the floor to anyone that has more to share, particularly if you are, quote, an expert, or even if you're not an expert, but you have some things about medical missions, that you, uh, women in missions that you can share that would complement this. That would be wonderful. So in the back. Yeah, I just, I, uh, my name is Capri. I work with InnoServe in Bangladesh. One thing that I think is really important for women is that, our setting, communities and whole families come to Christ. It's yeah. not uncommon. And it's the head man or the husband who makes the decision. The wife doesn't have anything to do with it. 
but it's the wives and the women who pass faith along to their kids. Amen. So if mm. no one disciples the women, um, the kids who you have a real opportunity to get in a, you know, sort of first year, you know, young, um, if nobody works with women, uh, those kids will lose their opportunity to really, and so will Excellent. the women lose their opportunity to really understand who Jesus is and what he can mean in their life. But it's not uncommon that men make the decisions, but women do, I believe, be truly Absolutely. become believers. It's like Cornelius yeah. and family. So somebody needs to disciple those women and the kids. Kids, I was yeah. That's an excellent point. And uh, I remember in the um, the um, uh, conversion, anti-conversion laws that were going on in India for a while, and there was a a, um, a, a fine that if a, a, a somebody was converted to Christianity, that there would be a fine for this. If it was a man, it was an X number of dollars, and if it was a woman, it was twice the price. And they, oh, everybody said, why? Because even these guys realized how powerful it was that if a woman came to Christ, she was going to influence the children, and the man may or may not. You know, he's out and around, or he's doing whatever. But the the price for the woman was actually twice as much, and there was a lot of interesting discussion about that. So interesting. So yeah, another comment. I just want to say, ditto, wonderful, fantastic. Um, this is a person who is on Medicare, on a Medicare, who just got married two months ago, been to India twice. Women's empowerment is so fantastic, mm-hmm. and I want to just say this that by teaching a group of women, you don't know what's going to happen. Before I left the country, I found out that one woman went back to the untouchable caste. They were uh, lower than the low because they were cobblers, that there's even caste in the caste. But she told one other person what she heard. Fifty people in the Mm. village became Christians because of one woman Mm. going to a women's empowerment. Wonderful. Hallelujah. Think about the woman at the well. Absolutely. Great example Absolutely. of that. Great. Other comments? Yes, in the back. That's wonderful. Excellent point. Women that have had abortions uh, in some of the back street areas really have uh, uh, died of infections, all kinds of problems associated with that and the trauma that's associated with that. Comfort and the empathy and all of that. Very important. Great. Other questions? Yes. Comments? Mm -hmm. No. Nice. Wonderful point. Yes. Uh, huge. And the, the, the power of just a small polygon touch or a holding of their baby mm. or and we go into leper colony and these people they're they're afraid at first but then by the second or third time you go and do that, they're all over you. And it's it's wonderful. And I mean and that's what Jesus did. Jesus 
Right. Wonderful. Great. Great. The, the point of touch, reaching out to women and just touching them. Uh, a hand on the side, a hug, a smile, an extension, a wonderful. So that's great. Okay, I think I'm going to end there. Um, uh, but um, if you have other comments or questions you want to share, and I'll leave my handouts up here if um, anybody wants to take one. Thank you for coming. <laughs>